0: All right, welcome to the second uh, edition of Candid Coaches Conversations, and uh, the first one uh, aired this past week, and we talked about transfers, and the goal of this is obviously to have great conversations with some of the top assistant coaches around the country and uh, also some media people that maybe uh, aren't so uh, good at their jobs uh, like Rob Doster and Jeff Borzella and myself on here today. One of the reasons that, that CY and I kind of came up with this was to have these conversations with primarily assistant coaches, uh, different topics, uh, get – honestly, part of it was getting a chance for you guys to know media better, media a chance to, to get to know you guys better. And um, the topic this week, again, black uh, coaches in the industry, um, how it's been – for so long and how it's starting to hopefully change in the right direction. And one of the people that hopefully will help change it uh, is Des Oliver, the new head coach at East Tennessee state uh, has been uh, I've known Des. I think we met, we might've met the first time like Buckingham Brown and Nichols watching the late Kendrick price. I I don't remember, but I think that's when it was years and years ago. Um, But Nine different assistant coaching stints at different schools, 51 years old now, and you get your opportunity to be a head coach at East Tennessee State. And it it doesn't come without, I don't know if criticism is the right word, but certainly uh, there are a lot of people that thought you were crazy to take this job. Um, I called you about three weeks ago before you took it and asked you, uh, you know, did you have any hesitation? Because obviously this was something – where East Tennessee State had parted ways with Jason Shea after after a year. And uh, after he su- supported uh, his players kneeling in protest of the National Anthem, a, a bunch of Republican senators came out, um, signed a bill uh, or a letter prohibiting uh, basically from, from them doing that in the future. So I-, I guess, Des, start off with why you chose to take this job when a lot of people probably did wonder um, – especially whether a, a black head coach could work at East Tennessee state uh, with what just happened.
1: Well, I mean, first and foremost, I didn't like even think about all of that when it was happening. Um, and, and, and when I've never thought about not taking a job or taking a job based on what other people think, I, I've never thought that way. Um, my role was basically we're playing, we're in season. And I had, I had a, a really crazy month or so of of zooms and interviews starting with albany came in second there at the same time albany was happening jacksonville happened and listen in every case i didn't make one phone call to call one ad about their head coaching position and so you know phone call comes from albany i'm involved with that job i don't get it jacksonville i don't get it and yet we're in the bubble in indy and I'm, I'm, i'm you know working on scouting reports for vandy and the teams that i scouted during the year and luckily didn't have any of those games to play, but I'm, I'm doing Zooms in a bubble. And then um, Winthrop opens and I get to get the phone call about Winthrop. So I'm, I'm preparing for that. And then um, Austin P opens. I get a phone call about that. And so I'm involved with those two. And I, I really was thinking Winthrop because I spent five years in the Charlotte area and I did, I have so many friends in that area. My, you know, my oldest son, grew there for five years, were connected. I love the area. I was so caught up in, in, in Winthrop. I remember <clears throat> the Wednesday of my interview, kind of walking you guys through my mindset, and I, 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 I fly down to Charlotte, interview for Winthrop. The interview went really well, I thought, in person. And my boys, so in Charlotte, I, I had a pickup game every Sunday for five years that AAU coaches, high school coaches, doctors, lawyers, politicians, we were the most connected game in town. If you got a speeding ticket, I have somebody in that game that can fix it for you. So one of my guys had bought a he bought a new house and he built a court in his backyard. He's a guy that, that kind of discovered dribble up, the, the um, you know, the, the new app for dribble up. So anyway, they're playing pickup and they said, Des, you are gonna get the went the, the, the job at through Come on down, play, play pickup with this man, hang out. Great day. So I interviewed, plan pickup. Game ends, I'm driving to my buddy's house to spend a night and then drive back in the morning to um to, to Knoxville. And my phone rings. And it's, you know, folks from ETSU. And I was so zoomed out. I was so tired of the interview process. And listen, in my heart, I knew I was gonna get this job. Like, I, I felt good about it. like I'm like, there's no way I'm not getting this. I'm, I'm a perfect fit. And I almost didn't take the call. Like I didn't answer it. I was tired. And I'm driving down the road. And then my instincts kicked in and I said, Des man, you you spent 25 years in the projects, man, that I can Donovan drive. Who are you <laughs> to think that you know you can't return this phone call and at least talk about this job? And it wasn't anything to do about ETSU, it was just the, the fatigue of the process and me thinking I had a job that, that would have been offered to me within 24 hours at Wentford. So I called back and I talked with the you know, administrator. And he says, Des, can you zoom in the morning? I said, There's no way. I'm getting up that early to get back in time to Zoom in one, He said, well, you know what? How about tomorrow afternoon? So I said, sure. So I get up, drive home. And again, my mind I'm thinking, I am going to get an offer from this other program. And so I'm waiting. And so I get a text for, for, you know, from the AD from Winthrop saying, let's talk in a couple hours. So I'm thinking, it's, it's all good. And so anyway, the, the the phone call never happens. And then my Zoom comes. With ETSU and they blew me away. I mean, like, like the, the, the car was more about the zoom was more about talking about the program and the upside of the program is it, it, history than what it was an interview. Uh, I didn't feel like I was interviewing for the job. And I know these guys, I'm an hour and a half down the road at UT. Um, their donors donate to UT It's some of the same people that donate to both. The president has a degree from UT. So the, the schools are connected. And so anyway, so now the Zoom ends and, and, and they say, well, can you talk with the president tonight at six? So I'm thinking this is serious because you don't normally get the same, you know, two Zooms back to back in one day with the president unless these guys are prepared to move forward. And so I'm thinking, well, yeah, but I'll probably get a phone call before that anyway and, and be a head coach someplace else. Phone call didn't, uh, didn't happen. And um, the president, and I Zoom at six. And I felt like a recruit for the first time in a sense of my mind was, was locked in at one place. When that Zoom ended at 6.45, talking to Dr. Nolan, the president here at ETSU, I walked out of the room in my house and my wife said, you don't look right. And I said, for, for three years, I've sat and looked at Winthrop as the job that fit us and fit me because of location and, and, and history. I said, right now I'm messed up because ETSU is a hell of a job I know these people and if they offer the job to me, I'm taking it period. I'm taking the job. And so that's kind of how things happen. So I, you know, I, I talk with Winthrop, don't get the job offer there the next afternoon. I get a phone call, offer the job at ETSC when I take it. And so never at any point in time did I even think for a second about that. Like one, when I arrived in Knoxville, there was stuff going on in Knoxville. Like, you know, the, the different head coaches had left um, from Pearl to Donnie Tindall, who, you know, had a, had, a, had a rough go of it because of some of the same t- issues and concerns. Um, I mean, uh, uh, not, not Donnie, uh, uh, um, uh, Quanzo was here before Donnie. Same kind of concerns. And then, and then Donnie came. So our program here was a little fragile at Tennessee initially. And getting off to a good start, getting the community to accept us wasn't easy, especially in recruiting. I remember getting an email that was a little bit racist <laughs> from one of our donors at Tennessee after we had signed Grant Williams, Jordan Bone, Jordan Bowden, um, Craig Parker, and Jalen Johnson, and three of those guys are pros, and all guys that, that I recruited, um, and so the email kind of read, it was kind of like, you're not very smart, you're signing three, three-star guys. And we're used to getting five-star guys back when Pearl was here. And all I did was I meditated for about 30 seconds. I prayed over it to, to have enough maturity to send the right words back. And I did. And my email read, Well, listen, I appreciate your loyalty to the program and you know and, and, and your, your concern. But I said, just give us four years. Give us four years to prove you wrong. Give us four years to. Tap to these kids, who I think are better than three-star recruits anyway, to see if we're right. If we're wrong, they'll probably fire us anyway. But if we're right, then we'll make you proud of us, right? So four years, three years later, I'm sitting in Gatlinburg. My son's playing AAU. I'm sitting there watching the game. My son's playing the best game he's played in a long time, Dante. And I'm sitting there, and I feel people pointing at me. I just kind of felt people looking at my, looking my direction and then there's a group of twenty, it's a true story 25 people or so are pointing at me on the court and they don't look like me. These aren't like some, some dudes from the East side who I play ball with. These are, you know, Tennesseans who support our program. And they walk down the stairs around the court. And this lady sweetest can be older lady, white lady walks up to me. She says, are you dead Oliver coach Oliver? And my heart's beating. I'm nervous as hell. And I, I said, yes. And she said, are you involved with the Kennesaw State search right now as head coach? And I'm, I'm like, yeah. And she said, please don't leave us. She said, Rob Lanier became the head coach at Georgia State a few days ago. We need you to stay one more year. And here's why. We love what you've done to our community with the, with, with the young boys you've recruited. Those young boys are special. They're, they're in the schools, elementary schools and middle schools. My great-great-grandson loves – Admiral Schofield and then Grant Williams. And so the whole talk was about them being proud, not so much of us winning, but the type of people that we're bringing to the community that were changing the, the vision and, and thoughts that they had about black kids, to be quite frank with you. So to answer your question, when people ask about ETSU and, and, and the climate, I've been there at, at Tennessee. Rick Barnes hired two black assistant coaches, not by accident. Because you know what? He wanted two guys that could relate to black kids and recruit and and, and teach the guys on campus. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Most of you guys who are sitting there right now of color have a job because your head coach wants an African-American assistant coach who can relate and recruit. And so the thought of like me not taking a job because they needed a black coach or wanted a black head coach is crazy. I'm thinking to myself, they need me because I'm qualified for the position. I'm right up the road. I understand Tennessee better than anybody in the country, and I'm ready for the job. At 51, I'm ready for it. At 35, no way I would have been ready for the job. And and so it was easy. And and I'll say this, Rob Lanier, who is my brother, my mentor, I love him to death, best man at my wedding, I was best man at his wedding, he was concerned. And so were you, Jeff, Like we talked about it, and that's the love that we have, is that you could call me and voice your concern. And we had a really good conversation and I, and I explained the same way I'm I'm talking to these guys now to you. And you were like, I get it. And listen, I've been here now for three, for three weeks. I am so happy that I was smart enough to to take that phone call back and talk to you. It's, It's a great opportunity. These people here love our players. None of what's been talked about has affected any, any lifestyle that we've had from going out in the community um, to, to, to you know, going to the churches, to dinners, at the none of that has been a factor. I know what happened last year happened. I taught my kids, our guys at Tennessee, out of kneeling. And we talked about, you know, having a voice, which is way more powerful than taking a need that you can't communicate with. And so we talked about, I said, how about this, guys? For two weeks, have hard, tough discussions on your Zooms, in your dorms, with people who don't look like you about what's going on in the community with the police. I told my 16 year old son who wanted to follow the Brian James lead and wear a Black Lives Matter t-shirt to school and take a knee. I said, don't do that. I said, talk to people and have real tough discussions with them about what if we're in a car together and a, cop's, a cop pulls me over in Alcoa, a, like a suburb of, 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 of our area. You know, I'm gonna feel different with that same police officer than, than you might feel. And, and ask them why. And, and I, the same thing in my neighborhood, I made every neighbor that claims to be a friend hear me out. And we had people crying, apologizing for, you know, not knowing that, that they said racist things. Listen, we've all said things that, that are hurtful to people in life, racist or not, we've all done it in accident. When, 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 when human beings get upset with each other, we say hurtful things innately, and then we apologize, whether it be race-related you're fat. You're you're skinny. You're ugly. Or your big nose, small. We all do that stuff, and so we had some really really impactful discussions. So if if I can do that there in Knoxville, I'm gonna turn this down a chance to be a head coach at a mid major plus high major minus institution that supports their basketball at a, high, at a high level that's winning. No way. Not gonna not gonna happen.
0: Questions? Any questions for Des? uh, from anybody here. I hope, I assume you guys got a couple. If not, I got one, but, uh, jump in.
2: Uh, Des, I don't have much of a question, but like just speaking on what you, what you talked about, like educate everyone, people that grew up, everybody grew up different. So you got to educate and get, and talk to people. Like, I I totally agree with you. Like don't turn anything down. If you think it's a great place, just talk to people. Like they just see skin color, but they don't know you. You might grew up the same. You just had different skin color. Uh, and then a lot of people, they, they always respect you more when you talk first uh, and then they get to know you. And I just think that's a great thing. You are educating. And we're all we're in the education business, even though we're we're a basketball coach. We're educating them every day on uh, just how to grow up, how to be, become a man. And then and you got to be aware of things that's going on, the climate in the world today.
3: Des, let me say this to you. Uh, first, I want to say, man, I'm really proud of you because uh, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh I was with your right-hand man Lanier actually had some conversations on the phone about it and was very concerned and probably more angry uh, at East Tennessee State because uh, what I've learned about our profession is he who controls the narrative is king. So I know um, some of the things about Jason Shea, uh, they tried to, make it seem like, hey, they wanted to fire him anyway or he wasn't a very good coach. And I'm a firm believer uh, that he's a solid coach and that he's a stand-up guy. And I respect what he did uh, for standing up for those kids down there. Uh, But listening to you talk, you taking the job, uh, the beautiful thing about basketball is black, white, orange, green. For that time, it brings everybody together. And I tell Jalen Hamilton all the time, you know what what uh, Jackie Robinson did for baseball, that's what he's doing for basketball and has done. And uh, what I'll say to you is, uh, I played at Georgia Southern, East Tennessee State is a big, big time program in late eighties, early nineties. We used to get ten thousand a game down there. Mister Jennings, Greg Dennis, I guess a big time program, but that area does need change uh, if you drive through their recruiting uh, you're nervous about being pulled over in that area uh, so i commend you for taking the challenge to go there to be a prominent figure in that community and to help make change in terms of race relations because that, that area does need it so respect to you man I'm, I'm really proud of you
1: listen your area needs it too everyone listen I, i'm from buffalo new york and I've had a, a lot of fights growing up as a, as a young person when I was a teenager because somebody said something sideways to me. Back when I was that dude and I, I was putting my hands on people for saying something wrong to me, I'm, I'm way more mature than that now. I mean, come on, man. Like, like we in the South. Like, there's an area in, in every area, this area is in, in the Carolinas. I lived in Georgia, North Carolina. I recruited in South Carolina. I've been in Florida. I've been all over the country. So there's an area in every state that you don't want to get pulled over in. It ain't just Tennessee. And my thing is, like, that's the narrative, I think, that we just got to get better with in general. Like, for example, we all are sitting in chairs right now, either as an assistant coach or myself now as a head coach. There is somebody who sat in the Oklahoma chair, Cincinnati chair, Florida State chair, wherever you guys at, Iowa State chair of color, that had a bad experience as an assistant coach years ago. Do the research. You'll find them. You sitting in that chair now, you guys aren't saying, I'm not going to take, take the job of Purdue because in 1968, they didn't treat John Smith the right way. Take the job because it's a good-ass job. Part of my friends, It's a good job. And, and, and we have the ability to create change and impact people. Like, I can't create no change, any change, if I don't have some sort of power in front of me. And right now, I'm sitting in this chair, and I have a tremendous president, Tremendous AD and staff. And we talk every day. And matter of fact, my my president and I played pickup ball together last night. He still plays. I mean, guys in great shape. But we're having these discussions. The 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 first two things I asked for when I when I took the job here, I said, well, to our donors. I said, I don't need your money yet. I said, what I need right, right now from you guys is I need your time and your connections. Because I wanted to be in this chair for so long, not because I want to make a ton of money, man, and, and be a millionaire and get to the next job. I want to impact lives like I thought I was going to impact lives when I got into this. I turned on get my PhD in 94 to do this, right? And sitting in that other chair as an assistant coach, I couldn't do that. I brought in players. I mentored and coached my butt off. I scouted my butt off. I couldn't really impact lives. What I mean by that is, I asked one of my top donors, I said, I need you to help me establish a mentoring program. I said, a mentoring program with CEOs of companies, with wealthy people who control, you know, hiring to become mentors to my guys based on their majors, real estate, business, whatever that is, I need a mentor for that guy. So when those guys are here, we're connecting the dots. And then when they get done playing overseas and the G League, whatever they're playing for at 28, 30 years old, they're on, that, that, that guy's on speed dial and they get you, know, you know, get, get jobs. We need that, that kind of action to happen. And we're doing that right now. Like we, we are working on that because for 27 years, I've loaned a lot of money, man, to guys who have graduated played overseas and they call me not my million dollar head coach. They call me and say, coach, man, I'm struggling right now. I've been playing for a little bit. Can I go borrow $500? And I've always said, I'll never say no the first time if I can afford it because those guys put me in that next chair. You know, the guys at Cornell put me in the chair at St. Bonaventure. The Bonner guys put me at Georgia. The Georgia guys put me at Tennessee. So I'll never say no to those guys. But my thing is, I wish I could have done more as, as an assistant coach to help them with their lives. Many of them have no experience, no resumes, um, no confidence skill-wise. I got a 16-year-old son that has two businesses because of my leadership. He, his own workout company, his own video company. I don't give him any money to spend. He got his own money to spend. And so my thing is why can't I do something like that for the guys I'm coaching? Now we all know to keep my job, I got to win some games. I, I get that. But if my tenure is four years or 14 years, I want to do that because I don't think that dudes to think about our kids that way, they care about basketball. And so again, at ETSU, what better place to get that going than to have some intelligent young people, you know, that are getting it done off the court. And then lastly, um, I don't think that many of our young people can, can speak to, you know, to the media and market themselves. correctly, Like, like the branding isn't great at Tennessee. We had a tremendous SID who did a tremendous job of helping our guys through the social media brand themselves. So here in June, my guys get back June 23rd, we're going to work, you know, work with the local media on basically teaching my team one through whatever number of guys I end up having 13, 14 guys, how to talk to the media, how to express yourself, be intelligent, how to talk about tough topics without being offensive, but be intelligent. And I hope that that branding will help those guys in a job interview. So, you know, I I just sat back and said to myself, if there was anybody that was questioning me taking this job, they they don't know who I am because that's who I am. I've been that way since I was a, a kid. And every job I've had has, has had some, some, some scuttlebutt to it where there was a challenge involved. Listen, all of our jobs, you're at Iowa State right now for a reason. You're at, you know, Florida State, Cincinnati for a reason because things have happened there. And, and we got to clean some stuff up. And we are good at that. We're good at cleaning things up. But as you clean things up, can you build and add to it in the process? And I hope that, that, that you have great administration with you that have your back. Listen, even good administrators make mistakes. Listen, I wasn't here last year. I don't know what happened, who, who's at fault. I do know this, I've been fired before other jobs. So good administrators make mistakes. At Georgia, we had a hell of a staff. There's no way after winning a championship in 2008, our staff shouldn't have made it for, for, for more years. In my opinion, they made a mistake. So administrators make mistakes in this thing, right? So I can't hold, you know, I make mistakes. I've signed kids before that have not made it. <laughs> and, and, and I, you know, like you guys, I've sat there in that home visit and sold to big mama that, he that, that you know, so-and-so is going to make it. And now as an assistant coach, the head coach and him didn't, didn't fit. He didn't make it. Like those, those things happen in our profession,
0: man. They do. All right. So you were one of 28 uh, black head coaches this past cycle. 28 of 54, over 50%, which is remarkable in a sense because, again, the number is previously 23% uh, overall black head coaches in the industry, right? 13 of 77 high major. That's 17% before this past year. So obviously there's something going in the right direction here. Um, It should have happened long before. Uh, a year ago, but it, it, I guess it took that. How worried are you guys, and anybody can jump in, that this is just going to be a blip, that this is a one-year deal and, and it could revert back in a year
4: or two?
2: Uh, I'm I, I don't. I'm not worried. I think it's great. It's a start in the right direction. Now, do we have to be successful? Yes. That's the part I worry about. If we're not successful, how fast are we going to be able to get a job again, a head job, opportunity again at that? That's probably more concerning to me is like uh, that part, like if it don't work out. But I, I think you, we got to start somewhere. And there's a lot of great assistant coaches out there. And, and I'm so happy that it's that it starting now. And I'm proud of the guys that got hit, getting their opportunity. And I wish them nothing but the best. And, and a lot of them know me and I know them. And like anything I can do to help them, I, I'll try my best to help them.
1: So I kind of see it a little bit differently for us in terms of why we haven't had, had more chances. And I'm, I'm a victim of it is I think we get lost in our jobs a lot, you know, as, as, as black assistant coaches, Uh, I was told day one, when I first got hired in 94, that if you can't recruit, you can't keep a job. And so again, I'm raised in a project. I spent 25 years in the projects and my neighborhood is, is as challenging as any I've ever, I've been to Compton. I've been to Baltimore I'm not seeing one that's more challenging than Donovan drive was. I'm not saying it's the worst, but it's in the conversation. And so my mother struggled as a single parent to raise me. And and so you're going to tell me now that, that, you know, like with all the stuff going on right now that, you know, um, like I'm not going to be excited about, you know, kind of where our deal is, but, but knowing And in my time as an assistant coach, I didn't do enough to put myself in this position. I didn't network. I just did my job. I just recruited guys and brought them by the house for dinner and mentored guys on campus and put my arm around them and worked them out in the mornings and did my scouting reports. And I felt like just doing a good job was was doing a good job. And the last five, six, seven years, because of people out there who are doing these symposiums and helping us become more educated... I've learned how to build my brand. And so I think it's up to us. It's up to me as a head coach now, and I know CY does a great job of this, is mentoring some of you younger guys who are going to get your shot um, at how to do both. Because sometimes you guys are so busy being the point man on your staff. It's like, I'm not sure about you guys. And, and I hope I'm not offending any of my coworkers. I've worked with in the past, but I've always felt like every job I've ever had, with the exception of one or two, that I, I had to pull the weight recruiting wise that if I didn't bring in the guys, we were probably going to fail. we not having enough talent. And so I don't have enough time to be out there trying to chase a job. I was just trying to keep afloat. And normally I had bad tough jobs that weren't winning. And I was blessed to, to, to get, I would say when I was 30, 30 years old, let me get a guy like a hall of fame coach to work for like a Rick Barnes. And, and let me bring my talent to that guy's resume. And I was blessed a few years ago to get that. But There's a process you guys got to go through, man. And you guys are probably doing it where you just have to be able to, um, to market yourself. Um, literally I started going out. Every recruiting trip and spending time with at least one AD per recruiting trip in the area, calling folks for lunch and like just sit down. And it's amazing. All those phone calls I was getting were because people knew me through somebody or knew me personally. And so I think I, I hear your point about us having to do well, But I think that coaches who aren't of color have been doing that for decades. And that's why a lot of guys are getting more chances, because they know the ADs and the presidents, and we don't. And so it's up to us. Listen, we're great recruiters. So recruit. I would know you know, admins that, you know, to me recruiting is not just about players. It's about recruiting people. Donors, getting jobs, the community. It's all the same. So take your skill that you use to recruit 18, 19-year-old talented players and recruit people that can elevate your careers when it's all said and done.
5: I'd like to follow up on that a little bit, especially on the, on the recruiting piece. Um, you know, I've had several, several different jobs. And I can count on my hand how many times a coach starts off the interview process and asks me about my coaching ability. Uh, the first thing you want to know, uh, can you get me players? And I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the fact that I'm a good recruiter, but I've also been around this game all my life. My dad's a high school coach for thirty something years. My brother's a Division One coach, also a head coach. And sometimes you, they get lost in a shuffle of of, of of trying to develop at yourself as a whole. And when every time you get this opportunity to to get a job, when I tell the young coaches coming up. Sometimes it's not about the, the university or the school. It's about who you're aligning yourself up with. That's so important. It's so important as a young coach coming up, you got to align yourself with the right people. So now you have the opportunity to develop your whole, as a whole, not just your recruiting ability, but your scouting, your on-the-floor coaching. That That's something that as, as young guys come in this business, have to understand that. You have to align yourself with people that, that are going to allow you to grow as a coach. If I had one coach and, and don't want to say his name, but after I got the job, he said, hey, coach, you don't even have to come to, you don't even have to, come to practice. Just, just give me some players. And, and so, I, you know, I'm there now. I'm, hey, and I signed a contract, and, you know, I said, coach, I'm sorry, but, I, hey, I'm coming to practice. I'm going to get you some players too, but I'm coming to practice. You know, then I had one coach that sometimes he let you do scouts. Sometimes he didn't let you do scouts. You know what I did? I went in the bathroom, looked in the mirror, and I did the scout anyway so I can develop as a coach. So as as, as young coaches come into business so you can make that next step uh, so when you do get that opportunity, you'll be ready to go. That's something I think is very important.
3: I want to uh, say, Dez, uh, uh, you made a great, great point. Uh, because you know nobody wants to say this. What we found out from the Colin Kaepernick deal is uh, racism is the American way. Uh, to be honest, so we do we do need help uh, everywhere in terms of making change. But I'm I'm really glad that uh, Jeff is on the call. Uh, I'm really glad that TJ and Grant are on the call uh, because I think those guys are some of the best coaches in the country. I'm a huge T.J. Sorrentine don't know me from the man in the moon, but I'm a huge T.J. Sorrentine fan. I watch him at Vermont lead them, dominate the America East. Uh, I love mid-major guys that take their teams to the show. Uh, I always knew from watching you play that you were going to be a, a heck of a coach. Uh, but I want to say this to everybody, especially mem- media members, and this is very important. Uh, he who controls the narrative is king. Uh, what Chad Dollar is talking about and what Dez is talking about. Uh, and Jeff and I has had this conversation. I've been in this profession 26 years and uh, I'm from the deep South, right? Uh, born in Miami, played at Georgia Southern, coached at Auburn, Georgia tech, and now Florida state. Nobody on this call is, is ate more waffle house than me. right? <laughs> Scatter covered in chunk. I'm in there. Right. So in the South, the black assistant coach has almost been assassinated, like JFK. What do I mean by that, uh, TJ uh, Grant? You guys on the staff, uh, the narrative that comes off each staffs, what Donald Bill was talking about, it's not that some of the young black coaches can't coach. It's not that they don't have the ability to coach. Is that the people they're working with is so intimidated by the relationships they have with AAU coaches, high school coaches, parents, and the players that they say they're really good in this area. We can't let them be good in this area, too. So they put out a narrative to Jeff and to other Caucasian coaches that this guy can't coach. Well, just because they say this guy can't coach, that don't mean he really can't coach. So that spreads around. And now that becomes your reputation. So what Chad Dollar is talking about in terms of lining yourself up with the right people is very important. There are staffs in the ACC and the SEC, and I'm not going to call them out, that I know for a fact that they go have meetings and the other black coaches on the staff don't even know what's going on. They show up in practice like, hey, what's going on? They tell them don't worry about it. Right. It's just it's just a takeover. Like, you, you don't have a chance. So to the media members and, and to other guys, what I want to say to you guys is when you see young black coaches coming up, don't just assume that they can't coach, that they don't have the ability, because that's what's coming out of that camp. Really get to know each individual, because when I was a young ins- assistant, I had to fight that. I had to almost escape in the middle of the night out of one program, like Harriet, like, uh, uh, in the – I'm going to skip it, but in the middle of the night, escape to get to another program so that I could show people that I was the total package. So uh, I'm glad we're talking about the issue. I'm glad that, that uh, guys are being candid. I I would really like to know what Grant or TJ have to say about this uh,
4: as we continue on. Yeah. You know, the one thing I'll add to this is, um, you know, I I work for a head coach where, you, you have to be ingrained in every aspect of the program. So he, do, he doesn't want just a guy that's going to say, all right, I'm a recruit. I'm going to be on the road five or seven days a week. Like you, you have to be able to get on the court and you have to be able to put together a scouting report. And scouting for Coach Willard, you got to know every single play they run, every zone play, every underneath out-of-bounds play. So the guys that I work with, and I work with two of the best African-American assistants, I think, in the country they're polished in every area and my, my advice would I would be to give, to give up and coming guys you know that, that want to be get in this profession and want to do it at the highest level make sure you work for a guy that's going to allow you to become a head coach and that's something that our head coach wants like if, if he's out of town he might tell a different person to run individual workouts and they, they got to have a voice they got to be able to coach they got to be able to do different drills and practice and for the up and coming guys don't just work for a guy who's going to send you on the road because that's going to benefit him. But if you're not going to benefit yourself and you're going to, and you're not going to get the chance to do scanner reports, in-depth scouting reports, you're not going to get a chance to do individual workouts. You, you're benefiting him more than he's benefiting you. And it should be a 50, 50 thing where you're helping him in certain areas, but he's also helping you so that one day you're going to be able to run your own program. Des, man, congrats. First of all, uh, even though you didn't recruit me when you were at URI, you
6: know, I'm, show you some love man. Um uh, but uh so it's funny so my best friend in this world is black right we grew up together um and so we've had you know we always talk about this stuff and he he's he's a huge advocate and you know he came from the projects and, and he now he has his PhD right but he's also a rapper right um so he teaches classes at, at, at community college you know up the road like he he is he is the smartest most intelligent dude um that i've ever come across uh, no offense to anybody else but this dude is he's elite man and he's a rapper on the side so what he does is to supplement you know and it's something he's passionate about he, he he has reached out for the last five years to all these you know college brown university where i'm at you know a lot of PWIs, predominantly white institutions and up until this point man they don't call him back they don't email him back you know, he gets in the community. So he's in the high schools, he's in the middle schools and he's doing his thing on a lower level. But he he feels so strongly about what he does and his message that he's trying to get in colleges all over the country. Now, the George Floyd thing happens. Right. And uh, we talk we're talking daily about it. And he's like, you know, my biggest concern is everyone's being reactive. He's like that. You know, it's a react. We're in a reactive state right now. He's like, you won't believe it, man. My phone is blowing up. Everybody wants me to come speak now and and share my message. And, uh, you know, he's like, that's my biggest concern that everything is so reactive right now. We need to be proactive. And and he was like, he was like mad, like, man, I I don't know if I'm going to do it now. It's just so react doesn't feel right. I said, and I told him, I said, man, go get that money. I said, take that money. I said, part of you going and getting that money. Now these people want to pay you to come speak and you sharing your message. That's what like, like that's the most important thing. Share your message, man. And, uh, and that's part of being proactive. And, and I think that's, that, that's a huge deal. You know, one thing we've done here is we started a black excellence speech speaker series. And like, we want our young, young black players to, to, to be, you know, role models and go speak in the community. And we do a ton of that stuff, but they need role models too. Uh, so it's our job to provide them role models. Like, you know, in our athletic department here at Brown, there's, there's one, maybe two African-Americans in the athletic department. So like they might say, man, I can't, I can't be an AD. You know, I, I can't be working in the athletic department because they don't see people like them. But then we have Bernard Mir, who's a former basketball player at Brown ad at stanford come on speak to them and, and share his message like oh man me maybe i can can be an ad you know so for, from my perspective the education is so important um to educate these guys and give them you know uh, examples of, of great black success stories um uh, it's something i feel passionately about I'm, I'm thrilled to death you know jeff you reached out see why i appreciate you uh, having me on um you know uh, i love having these conversations so just just a quick quick thought and uh, hopefully.
1: So I'll say this to you guys, and so I think this is this is a big part of it too for, for coaches of color is, again, you know, the, the message you, that you send out to people is so important. Um, the message, um, your brand. For example, my mom, since I was a, a really young kid, was really big on me being able to communicate the right way, like how I talked. All of my friends, with the exception of Rob Lanier in the neighborhood, were great guys. They were neighborhood dudes. And my mom, she had a vision and she just felt like you can't make it out of here without being able to speak the King's language at a high level. And so she you know, she made me take speech classes and I took them in college. And it's funny because I remember my freshman year you know, wearing do-rags around campus. Man. I mean, I, I, was, I, was, I was straight up Donovan Drive and I talked like it um, to a degree. And as I got older, I just realized that people judge me, like would judge me real quick. People that weren't of color real quick based on how I sounded. And so I decided and like, you know, I guess early on in my career that I wanted to sound like a head coach every time I talked to to people, no matter what. However, it's funny because then I got to a point where as an assistant coach, I didn't get certain jobs because I, I had white head coaches at the highest levels. That were, were questioning, quote unquote, are you black enough or, I guess, urban enough was the word to go into the hood <laughs> and recruit the dudes I grew up with, and I was offended. And, and it, you know, now I should have just went in and gave them Donovan Drive Des on the spot, right? But I didn't. I was, I was, you know, real passive on it. And so that's the hats that we had to wear. And so it's funny because I'm, I'm real political. Like I speak a certain way in, in public outside of my home. In my home, I am urban. I mean, my kids laugh like I'm straight up <laughs> Donna, because I have two black kids in the suburbs who I want to have have a balance because my, my kids sound like I do at work all the time. <laughs> and so there's a balance between um, us being able to, to have people look at us in this chair as a head coach and be corporate enough, um, even though we some of us come from some neighborhoods, man, that we're blessed to still be alive. Like I tell my story to people that don't really understand it and I, I, it takes a while to get through it. And folks are crying be, like some of the things that Rob Amir and I went through and we still living and never, never sold drugs, never robbed nobody, but we around all of that stuff every day. <laughs> and we're here to talk about it, man, and mentor kids. And so I, how about this kind of closing? My first day here on the job before my press conference, I talked to our team and I had the whole team was in a portal, except for like one or two dudes. And my whole thing was just give them your story, dads. That way that they know that you understand who they are. And I gave my story. I started crying. They almost started crying. But I knew I had them in a sense of they, they heard me. And they said, let's give this guy a chance. Because for the first time, here's a guy that's been through what we're going to go through. I think that's that's the message, man. Like we have to wear two hats in a sense, you guys, and, and be able to be political and corporate without compromising who you are as a person, because my my, my neighborhood made me tough enough to take this job <laughs> right now and make it work. And it's the same with you guys. Iowa State and Oklahoma and, and, and Cincinnati and Purdue and, and Furman, like your neighborhood, suburban, urban, whatever it is, made you tough enough to, to walk on that court, man, as one of a few people on campus that look like you in that role and, and, and do a great job. But wear, wear those hats, man. Sound like a head coach. When you're talking to media, when you're – like, don't, don't get too comfortable because sometimes that's going to get you – like, see what I saying and, and you're saying, Chad, that folks are saying behind the back, well, you know what, he ain't ready. Sometimes it's that lunchtime conversation where you're comfortable and you're giving them Donovan drive. That dudes don't understand. So I, I just don't give them down on the drive. I just don't do it. My kids get it. CY may get it at dinner. Chad may get it. <laughs> but I'm i not giving it to people in public.
3: Hey, hey, Tim Johnson. Yes, I wasn't gonna let I wasn't gonna let you speak because you got me fired ahead as the head coach of Georgia Southern. <laughs> but you go ahead and speak for us, even though you put my four double doubles on my head. Go ahead, Tim. Please.
7: No, I, uh... <laughs> I was just sitting here trying to soak it all up. I mean, there's so much wisdom on this screen, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, I wanted to listen. You know, I wanted to listen. All you guys, if I don't know you personally, I respect you and what you've done in the business. And then for the people I do know, uh, you know, just sitting here getting to take in Coach Oliver, I know we probably got a problem. We got to compete with him and he's really, really sharp. I know what he's going to do there. So uh, I would say I'm a little younger. My experiences have been a little bit different, but what I will say is, two things. One, I believe in the innate goodness of people. And then two, I believe people generally want to win. And everything comes from that. It's all it's all business related. But, you know, at 26 years old, um, me working for Coach Young, uh, Mike Young, who's now at Virginia Tech, you know, I'm 26 years old, I'm fresh into business, but I came in and did my deal. We go to the NCAA tournament, you know, he passes me the scout, and he didn't even think twice about it. But it, it, I think it was because the work he had saw throughout the year. I think it was because of my level of preparation. And the year after that, we played. Uh, that was Arkansas. The year after that, we played Michigan. And Darius Nichols has a scout, right? So two years in a row, uh, this is the the biggest games of his career. And I don't think he was thinking, uh, you know, this got to go to 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 a white guy per se. He was who's the best guy for this moment, right? And so, you know, in a lot of ways people treat you the way you, to coach Oliver's point, the way you are, right. And what you kind of, what you accept. And the second thing I'll say is my current experience working for Bob Ritchie. in a lot of ways from day one, stepping in the door, which is one of the reasons why I took the job was just the constant reinforcement of Tim, you are a head coach and you need to think like a head coach. You need to prepare like a head coach and, you know, even a couple of situations I've been in this year, you know, where I've gone for jobs, um, one in particular, and and although I was the youngest guy in the group, the feedback I got was, you're the most prepared, right? So I'm not saying that these obstacles don't exist. And I'm not saying that, you know, I understand the context of racism historically and and Black people, or people of color, I should say, rising to leadership positions. But I don't want to lose sight of, we really have to prepare, and I think the more you control your thoughts, and the more you have a willingness to prepare and have the the, the right habits, I don't think anybody can stop you from getting where you want to get. And that maybe that's just a personal um, thing that I subscribe to, but you know, I think I think you're going to get exactly where you want to go, whoever that is. I really don't think that anybody's personal opinion is uh, necessarily going to hold you back. But again, I'm I'm young, so maybe I'm a little a uh, little naive in that. You know, and the last thing I'll say as far as this year, um, looking at uh, the coaches hired, you know, the African-American coaches hired in our business, it's funny listening to uh, Jeff say that stat in my mind. I thought it was more 80% African-American, but doing the numbers, it was only about 52%.
0: Came back down. It came, it, it started, it was closer to probably 70, 75%, and then it, it kind of came back down towards 50.
7: Yep. So I guess the question begs, like I don't want a year where it's eighty percent white. I don't want a year where it's eighty percent black. I think we all want to get to the point where the best guy for the job gets the job. Yeah. However, I will say I do think coming off the year we had, it was important to see a level of empathy from the leadership. Where um, and what I mean by that is, you know, this thing will settle back down. But I think going into this year, there's there's just moments in history where um, it's important to see some empathy. You know, and and given what happened. In uh, 2020, uh, not just George Floyd, but just the the entirety of the year um, to see that level of uh, almost acknowledgement of we do care and, and we do want change and we do want these numbers to be different. I think that was important, you know, for this time. Now, moving forward, I, I think we do want to get to a point where the best guy for the not even the best guy, the most prepared guy is getting the job. You know, I don't want a job because I'm black, but I don't want to not get a job because I'm black. Right. And I think that's, you know, that's what we'll, we'll get to. But again, I've worked for incredible guys. Many of you guys know the guys I've worked for. It's like, hey, man, if if you're prepared, you got to scout. Um, you know, I've ran the defense. I've ran, I've called plays on offense. I think my experience has been a little bit different, and maybe that's kind of shaped and the way I see this thing. But certainly, um, are there disadvantages? Have there been challenges to being African American? Absolutely. Um, and, and, and I won't discount that, but I really honestly believe we have to start making sure, especially for young black assistants, are you prepared when you get your shot? And do you have a willingness to prepare for when your shot comes? Like I'm listening to Dez, he's prepared and everything he's talking about is his level of preparation based on his experiences. And that's what we got to keep preaching. You know, it's not, there's no boogeyman out here to get you. You know, you have to be willing to prepare and do your deal, Right. But, Again, thanks for having me, and I appreciate you calling me out, uh, C. Watt.
0: I'm, I'm going to call out KT now. Uh, we want to we want to give everybody kind of a a shot here. I know it's it's hard with 12 people on, but uh, KT, your thoughts on on all this, and, and kind of um, which way you want to go?
8: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, where where should I start? Um, like what Chad said, like it, it's been situations where I mean, you're you're talking to a head coach about a job, and like you get a sense of All they want you to do is recruit. Now, I've been very fortunate. Every place I've been, I've done scouting reports. Like, I've never been with a head coach to where they're like, ah, you don't have to be here or whatever. And Larry Brown really changed that. He, for me, it was like, you're going to (laughs) coach. It ain't no if, ands, and buts about it. You're going to coach on the floor. But I was uh, involved in some uh, assistant jobs and uh, talking to a head coach, and all he kept talking about was recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. And I had to bring up like, all right, coach, what other responsibilities will I have, you know? And uh I, I know exactly what, what Chad is 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 talking about on that. And when I was younger, it was like that's what it was about. Hey, I wanna I wanna be known for getting guys, like, you know, and then once I start getting older, it's like, all right, dang, I wanna be a head coach. Like it's just not all about recruiting. And uh so I I think that's a, a very huge key in, in what we're going through, uh, especially when you're young. Um, you know, what what Terry said, uh I, I'm a firm believer in, like, like guys like Dez and guys who's who who's gotten opportunities, we wanna see you guys be successful. Like Dez, I don't know you, I've never met you a day in my life, but I I'm, I'm gonna be rooting for you. And I know it's gonna be a lot of other guys rooting for you. And and Dez, what you said also is like, I think it's two sides to this. I mean, you have the basketball part, and what I realized that nobody ever told me coming up was, I, I, I call it the business side of it, like like talking to ads, going to, to uh like I I'm, I've done symposiums with Top Connect. That's been huge for me. Um, you learn a lot through that. But um, I, I've and then I got really inquisitive. Like ask Cy. I, I called Cy. Just ask him questions because he's been a head coach before. Um, and he looks like me. So I'm, I'm at, I've called him numerous times. Hey, what do I need to be doing to, to, to try to get a job? And guys like him have really helped me out. And, and, and now I'm in a position to where I can help younger guys out, that, tell them things that people weren't telling me coming up, because it's, it's two sides to it. But um, I, I don't want to be known as a recruiter at all. I, I want to be a head coach one day, and, and, and you have to take those certain steps to do those things.
3: And, and fellas, I want to re—I want to reiterate this to everybody on the call. Uh, it's really about what's the narrative that's coming out of your camp, and I want the coaches, the younger coaches, on the call to understand that it's important that the relationship you have with the coach that's working to the left and what's working to the right of you, and what are they saying? What is the narrative? Who's controlling the narrative? Because. I want I love bringing out the elephant in the room, and, you know, I'm not going to attest to this. Time. Listen,
0: <laughs> I hear the narrative, so I can attest to this. I hear the narrative all the time, and sometimes I believe it. Usually, you want to hear it from multiple people before you believe it, right? One person tells me something, a guy can't coach, a guy doesn't have scouts, he had them taken away from him. I'm mm-hmm. not going to believe it on one person.
3: I'm going to make sure I hear it from other people. And that's important, Jeff. That's important. But I got a question for JR. Uh, uh, Have you eaten at the Waffle House? If you hadn't eaten at the Waffle House, you're not speaking on this call.
9: I've eaten at the Waffle House. I was at a uh, C.Y. <laughs> when you first got – man, I've been following you guys, man. But when you first got to Florida State, I was down at St. Leo University, Division Two, down there. okay. us go. Okay. I, 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 got some, I got some south in me. So, carry man. on. Carry on. It, it's, it's been great. You know, the, the one thing that I really appreciate and I, I'm I'm like, I'm like, you know, t- Tim, I'm trying to learn and take it all in. But, you know, Des, you talked about building your brand. And as I've been blessed and been lucky to just start moving up, I went from D3 to D2 to ops to, to, to finally getting here. It, it's been, it's been a, it's been a, a whirlwind experience, but Now I'm starting to think differently. I'm starting to think, man, how can I get to the level of of the rest of these guys that are on this call? And I respect you guys. And, you know, you talk about, you know, how you speak. And and people have told me, hey, man, you got to dress a certain way and you got to do these things. And for me, man, five years ago, I'm 33 now. Like, I was like, man, I want to be able to relate to the players. Like, so I was coming in, man, I'm listening to the same music. I'm talking the same. And, you know, I've kind of, I've kind of rationalized that a different way where I was like, I can relate to these guys, but I also have to be able to be approachable for my next job. And, and I think I'm starting to mature in that way where now I'm starting to see myself as, okay, I know I need to speak this way. And, and Des, I can, I can relate to, to what you said. Like I'm from the inner city of Milwaukee where a lot of my friends are either still there or they're not here anymore. So they're in the same place that they've been when I left or they're not on this earth anymore. So I, I I can see all this stuff. And I know it's a blessing for me to make it out. And now I'm like, okay, how can I get to the next level? And I'm appreciative where my feet are, but I'm also like, man, this, this opportunity, this off season has been great, you know, to see everything and see how it's happening, but it's always about learning and, and Tim, like you said, being prepared, man. So everything you guys have said, I really appreciate it. Um, Chad, you know, like, when you talked about, you know, how you can be put into that realm, like, I've always, since I came up, I'm like, man, I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to be just a recruiter. I refuse. Like, I'm relentless and, hey, man, I'm going to get it done. Like, I'll work the dude out, have the scout, and then go get the player at night, and I'll drive and do it. Like, because I refuse to be put in that box. And that's just something my mom had taught me growing up. Just like, nope, you're not going to be that. You can do everything. Um, and that's just how I've been kind of going after this deal. So again, appreciate you guys and the time and, and, you know, I'm just here learning and and it's been great.
1: I wanted to to, to say one last thing if I could fellas, I wanted to clear this up real quick. So our listeners, to my Tennesseans that listen to this call, don't, don't, don't take me the wrong way. When I said the South, my meaning was, is this, I spent 16 years in the South, five in Georgia, five in North Carolina and now six in Tennessee. And I think the South has been different for us in the sense of my kids come home at every stop and they say, my friends at school are telling me that I'm the first kid of color that they've ever met. <laughs> in the neighborhood, I'm the first kid. so so the South to me when I say the south is because a lot of, a lot of areas just haven't been you know introduced to many people of color. And so it's very easy when you don't know about someone or have a feel to judge. We all do. It's human nature. Sometimes just to judge based on what you read in the media, you see the media. So that's what I mean by, you know, by saying we're in the South, you know, uh, it's just, it's different where your neighbor might not have seen a kid of color before. And, And then, and then lastly, guys, this is honestly, this is the truth. When I didn't get Kennesaw state, um, it hurt, um, in a sense of it was Atlanta, I I love the area, and my wife for the first time was really caught up in like the move, like going to (laughs) Atlanta. She cried over it, and she—I mean, she's tough as nails. She don't cry over much at all, right? And so I said to myself, as opposed to me getting mad and blaming and saying and blaming them, I said clearly, I didn't do a good enough job of blowing them away to make sure that was my job. And so I wrote down all the interview questions. This is honest, the goodness truth. And I literally study them, study them every single day. I'm driving to work. It's a 15 minute ride to and from my job in Knoxville, you know, both ways. I take two questions and take my iPhone and, and, and go to the memo deal and record myself. Like I'm driving, talking, answering the question. So when I got the question asked asked to me this year, six times in six different interviews, I wasn't nervous. Like I was so comfortable would answer, And I had my deal, like like I, I had my program memorized. And so when you guys, you know, guys have mentioned preparation, I believe it, man, you got to prepare for it. I mean, Tim, Tim, Tim said it, you, you just got to be prepared because those questions, man, are not easy, especially in front of a lot of people. You, you, have, you have a committee of eight, nine people in front of you. Those aren't easy questions to answer, man. So stay prepared for sure.
7: And, and the last thing I'll say, I know we got to wrap up, but I do want to say, uh, particularly to see why, like, we, we have to give CY his flowers now before he's decided he's done. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, he's always been willing to, to pass down knowledge and information. And, you know, it was it was a, probably about five years ago. It was a diagram he drew up for me talking about um, attracting people, right, which is one of his gifts. He's always been able to do it. I never met somebody that had a bad word to say about CY. And that he didn't have to do that for me. You know, I, I there's nothing why can gain for me, but but we talk about uh, forwarding black coaches and empowering black coaches. That's what it's gonna take, right? His and same with Coach Oliver. They're both brave. They're both bold, right? And and to be able to pass down that information and then go about themselves with the with a surety of self that they're doing, I I think that's huge. But I know when he retires, we're gonna throw a parade and it's gonna be up. But for, for real, like. There's a there's a podcast. Cy did with uh, Coach Shulman. He probably don't even remember this. I studied that thing because, again, he's just passing out information. He talked about a guy skinny. I'm gonna give him a cheeseburger. And, well, you know, just his philosophy and recruiting and just all the information uh, that he's willing to pass down. Us young guys are watching. You know what I'm saying? In a lot of ways, we don't get uh, access to you guys because we're from different generations but it does mean the world how you carry yourselves and, and the boldness and the braveness and the ability to 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 again pass down the information. So, truly, brother, I appreciate you and Coach Oliver. I'm rooting for you, man. I know we uh you know we don't know each other uh, well, but hopefully we,
0: we will. Hey, hey, I know Borzello has got a quick question here. Before I know we want to wrap, give it another few minutes, but I know Borzello had a question, wanted to jump in at some point here. Take it, Jeff.
3: I'm sorry.
6: No, I was I was going to say, is there? I think about a guy like Mike Davis. Um, you know, when he took over at to Indiana, he did well early, fell off a little bit late, and he's never gotten back to that high major level. And even though he's been to, I think, five NCAA tournaments since then, he's never gotten a sniff at a Power Five job. Is there any concern that, um, you know, some of these hires that were made this spring, if they struggle in three or four years, and they're just never going to get a chance like this again? Um, is that a fear at all? I mean, anybody can answer this, and it doesn't just apply to, to black coaches I mean Kevin Kruger at UNLV, the job could be too big for him or Ben Johnson at Minnesota, whoever it is. Is there ever a concern that, Hey, you know, they're getting this job now, but the narrative could be, and this goes to what CY was saying about narratives, the job, you know, the job was too big for him. It came too soon and he never gets that shot again.
5: Dollar take it. Um, yeah, I, I would agree with that. You know, um I had a, a a good friend of mine. He put Mike Davis, and you know, he brought him up. He put Mike Davis' resume up, and then he put another guy' resume up, and then put the names on them. And I just knew that guy was a high major coach at that time. And Mike was he was at uh, Texas Southern at that time. Um, there's always a fear in that. There's a fear in uh, of, of climbing up and and not ever having that opportunity to go back up, whether you're an African American coach, head coach, or a white coach. Um, I think it goes back to your, like they said earlier, we talked about the branding of yourself, making sure once you drop down or something happens, all that you reinvent yourself to get back up to that to that top ladder. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's a definitely concern um, is that's, that we have to uh, look at. And last thing I want to go back to Des uh, talked about, uh, we talked about the South and things of that nature. Uh, I'm very familiar with uh, Johnson City, Tennessee. I actually went to college in Milligan College, uh, about 30 minutes from ETSU. And um, and we talked about the opportunity, aligning yourself with the right people. I got my first opportunity to coach from a guy named Rick Scrubs. He was a head coach at Milligan College at that time. And, and when I graduated, he gave me a contract. Uh, he gave me a contract to start coaching. Uh, one of my best friends played at ETSU, Jerry Pelfrey um uh, he helped me get into coaching and he helped me um, learn a lot of stuff I, that I, I learned today. So um, aligning yourself over the right people, whether they white, black, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, you just want to make sure that um, that you do that. And uh, so Johnson City was good to me. <laughs> and, and, and it also it's a really good people in that area also. Hey,
3: Goodman. Goodman, this is for you because, uh, uh, Jeff, you make a great point about Mike Davis. People don't talk about this. Mike Davis took Indiana to the championship game. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now people, Nobody – it's like he's a ghost. Like, it ain't never happened. Yeah, well, you, gotta, any- you know, it's hard. You go
0: back down to Texas Southern, then you go – right? Like, nobody's hiring him. And, and I think part of it, honestly, is his reputation of being flammable, maybe hard to de- – and, again, I'm just saying what people are telling me within the industry. That's all. Like, I like Mike. I get along great with Mike. He should get another chance. But listen, it, it is harder, I, I feel like, if there was a study done of black coaches being fired and not getting other opportunities compared to white coaches that are recycled
3: over and over and over. Here you go, Jeff. here's what I'm going to say to you. Again, you said, here's what they're telling me. Yeah. Let's talk about the narrative again. See what I mean? And who controls it? And and young guys that's on this call, and Dez, I want to say this to you. You, you. When you don't get a job, it's not because you're not good enough most times, or you're not prepared, or you didn't do the interview great. Most of the time when you don't get a job, it means the guy who got the job has a better relationship with the people that are hiring than you. So Dez, don't beat yourself up about not getting the Winthrop job or the Kennesaw State job because 95% of the time, it doesn't have to do with who's the most competent. It's who has the best relationship with the person that's doing the hiring. Who are the closest friends? Does that make sense to you, Des, what I'm saying?
1: Well, I mean, so yes, it does, and I know that. So, so me coming into those were the reality was I was playing, you know, from a deficit because I didn't know those guys. And when you are, and sometimes you will be, you better be prepared. Because, like, for example, I talked to AD's, you know, the, the, the guy that hired Shaka and, at, at VCU. And Shaka wasn't the first choice. But well, he went in there prepared and blew him away. And he became the first choice. I'm not saying it happens often, but it does happen. So I'm saying sometimes you get one shot. <laughs> my thing is, you know, it, as a coach, if I sub my 10th guy in the game, he better be prepared to make that shot or, 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 you know, get that stop. Like take advantage of those, those two minutes that might be the difference in him playing more the next game. Just be ready. And, and you're right. A lot of times it, it just comes down to, 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 to connections. I'll say this to you as well. So that's been the difference. The last three or four years, I'm calling ADs like I talk to AU coaches. And I talked to ADs about why didn't so-and-so get the job? The interview for and, – and most of them tell me, because he didn't interview very well. And these are people of color. So that's why I'm telling you guys, be prepared. Even if you know the AD, be prepared because what if three of us get a chance to interview for a job and, and we're all you know good, we all know the AD, it'll come down to who has the best interview that can make the AD close his eyes and say, I can see that person being you know, the CEO of my company.
3: And I want to say, and then you're right. And everything you're saying is right. uh, But I'm going to say this. And I've never been called old in a nicer way than what Tim Johnson just called me old. I appreciate that. (laughs) But Tim Johnson is on this call, and I keep my ear to the ground. And I know for a fact that he did the best interview at Western Carolina. Now, he don't even know I know he interviewed for Western Carolina. But I know for a fact, unequivocally, he was the best interview at, at, at West Carolina, but he didn't get the job. You know what I mean? And so, you know, and, and I'm happy Justin Gray got it. He's one of my young Thundercats. I raise and talk to him all the time. He's going to do a great job. But I just want everybody on the call to know that the network piece may be even more important than you being prepared. I just I, I want to make sure y'all know that. Listen, yeah,
0: you, you, listen, you gotta know. Boat. I'm saying you gotta the know the
3: search firm, guys.
0: Yeah, no. You you got to get to know those dudes for better or worse. I'm not a search firm guy fan, but but the bottom line is they can get you in the door and, and they can't help you or crush you. So you better get to know those guys like this was talking about. Know the ADs. To me, like write down 10 jobs that, yeah, you might obviously you don't want to cut the legs off anybody that's already got a job. We know that. Like that, that that's not the way to do it. But it's also about networking, like they said, and, and it helps get in the door, and then they know you. Then they know you rather
3: than meeting you for the first time. So, Goodman, let's talk about the narrative. I'm having a conversation with a major with a major search firm guy, major. i got known him for a while, not going to call his name. He says to me, hey, see why you guys at Florida State, y'all do a great job. Jaylen Leonard Hamilton, he's the real deal. But y'all have all that talent down there, and y'all underachieve every year. I said, huh? I said, excuse me. <laughs> I'm at Florida State. <laughs> I want to know was. I, I want to know I what Knucklehead I said can't that. do it. I can't do it, but trust me. So I'm having this conversation. I had to clean the narrative up. I said, do you know that we get a McDonald's, uh, McDonald's All-American every other year? Carolina, Duke, Kansas, Kentucky, they get them every year. The talent that you see, that you're so impressed with, They're two- and three-star guys that we developed. So how are we underachieving, but we're taking the diamonds in the rough and making them better? Shouldn't you be commended for evaluating, developing? I mean, that, that makes you a great coach, but that's the narrative that was being put out there that's absolutely ridiculous. So now Dennis Gates, myself, Stan Jones, we're fighting to get jobs because some guy doesn't, you know, he doesn't he doesn't know what he's talking about. You understand? So that's why I keep telling you guys, it's very important to understand the narrative, control the narrative, because the narrative is, if they don't get it right, it, it, it can crush you.
0: Well, again, listen, I would say part of that, too, is reaching out to people in the media. You know, uh, we're all accessible. If we get it wrong, if I screw up, call me, call me out. I got no problem saying I was wrong. Zero. I'm wrong plenty. Um, Doster knows that better than anybody. Uh, but but again, we're accessible. So the more we talk to you guys, the more we find out, yeah, yeah, Stan Jones, he's not just a guy who can
3: drop a play. He can actually recruit a little bit too, right? CY tells me that all the time. All Ain't the time. No he, hey, he went and got Boston Copa Visa, bing, bang, boom. And, and nobody wants to give him credit for that. But listen, everybody's shocked that Dennis Gates is a monster at Cleveland State. I worked right here in this office with that young Thundercat. That boy was the truth when he was here. He again, was drawing hey, up plays, hey, putting hey, in office. See why? What Go I ahead. will tell you is I've had plenty
0: of head coaches in the past tell me a guy is really good so he can get him the hell out of there, too. So, like, <laughs> there, there are some dudes, and I'm not going to call out names, but I, I know it. I know it, okay? I've had it, and, and I don't fall for that shit anymore. I, I, I know
3: at this point. Hey, hey, Goodman, Goodman, stop using profanity on our good fans. Right, I'm sorry. We'll bleep it.
0: Oscar will bleep it out. He'll bleep it Thank out. you, sir. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Listen, we're going to wrap. We're at about an hour in, in 15, hour and 20 now. I, I know. Listen, I, I appreciate everybody doing this. I know CY does, too. Des, uh, great for coming on and kind of telling your story and um, why you took ETSU. I know uh, it took you about, uh, I don't know, 10 minutes to convince me when I called you up and, and, and was shocked uh, and, and fearful a little bit of, of you taking it. Uh, appreciate all you guys coming on. This was great. Uh, we're going to rotate guys in throughout the year, so hopefully we're going to do this hopefully every week. I mean, if CY goes on vacation, I, I don't know. We might have to take a week off if, if, if he hits a Waffle House and doesn't come back. But uh, we're going to try to do it every week, so we'll have you guys back. Um, and the best part, Doster didn't say a word. So it, it was It was phenomenal.